This week we have a text, not a selection of texts. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, for those of you who are doing the community Bible reading, uh, this should be relatively familiar. And why can I not find it? All right. Originally I was going to do a larger passage, but I uh, thought I'd narrow it down to verses 11 to 16 of chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, you would work by your Spirit to uh, turn our attention to your Word. Uh, That we would see here uh, the words of life. That we would uh, recognize uh, your authority as our Creator and our Redeemer but also the one who wants to shape us and make us. And so give us ears to hear this morning. Give us hearts that long to hear. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I I grew up, obviously, in New England, so I don't know what it was like in other parts of the country, but I was reminded this week of the commercial in which the mom said, Anthony! Anthony! And I learned that Wednesday was Prince Spaghetti Day. I remember just watching that kid run through the streets of the north end of Boston as he tries to get home. And that little boy became a man, and that man passed away this week. And so it got me thinking a little bit about my childhood and some of the the things that uh, I remember and there's another commercial that I don't know if it was a national commercial because it, at that point it was a more of a regional franchise, but I remember all of those commercials for Dunkin' Donuts. The old man, from my perspective as a child, with the mustache, getting up very early in the morning, it's time to make the donuts. His life seemed to be shaped around being, it being time to make the donuts. Let's think about that for a moment. Why did he need to make donuts? Well, he needed to make donuts for two reasons, and one of them being people like donuts. And two, you can make money making donuts and selling them. How would he make donuts? Well, I don't know how you make donuts, but I do know that you need to show up to make these donuts. Uh, But what they are are these fried pieces of dough that are not good for you, but certainly taste delicious. 
I call them fat pills. I know I must avoid them in any large quantity. But uh, who makes the donuts? It was apparently this guy with the mustache who kept going early in the morning. We've talked about the why make disciples, the how of making disciples, the what of making disciples, and now we're trying to talk about the who makes disciples. So that's sort of our big question for the morning. Who makes disciples? And the first part of that is we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 here in Ephesians 4. And we want to recognize that this is speaking about the victorious Christ. This is speaking about the Christ who has been resurrected, the Christ who has ascended, and the Christ who now bestows gifts upon his people in order to help his body to flourish. Uh, That is the context in which these words are said by Paul. And what does he give to the church? Does he give the church lots of money? Does he give the church, I don't know, lots of technology? He gave the church people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That's who he gave in order to enrich his church. The apostles, this can be used in the very technical sense of the 12 apostles, or it can be used in the sense of uh, those who are sent out in order to plant churches in other places. And in the process of planting churches, they exercise authority over those churches as a result. But the apostles exercised authority over not simply a local church, but church as plural, the church, capital C. And so God gave, gave apostles of both kinds. I'm not sure which kind Paul has in mind here, but he also gave the prophets. And now some think that this is speaking about the Old Testament prophets, and uh, there might be some merit to that discussion, uh, but most likely it's speaking about New Testament prophets. They're still spokespeople on behalf of God, but we see a very different thing in the New Testament from what we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you weren't really to question the prophets. You were to examine to make sure that what they said came to pass, so you you did see whether they were a true prophet or a false prophet, but we see Perhaps see in, for instance, rather, First uh, Corinthians eleven through fourteen, that the the prophecies were to be measured, examined by the elders of the church within the local body in the worship service. We see that this is not speaking of uh, the well, how Paul uses this in other contexts is not speaking about an office so much as a function, because we see. Philip the evangelist had daughters who prophesied. So, we're not sure exactly what these people are, but we do recognize, whether it's he's speaking of the Old Testament or the New Testament, but we recognize there's a function of people who are speaking the Word of God or about the Word of God to other people for their edification, for their encouragement. So he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he also gave evangelists, people who herald the good news outside the church 
in order to bring people into the church. And so this is the picture we see in Isaiah 52 that, that Rick read from this morning. Uh, the, the, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news that the, our God reigns. And so these are the people who go forth, missionaries and, and people like that, who, who go forth and let others know that Jesus reigns and he has redeemed his people so that they can gather them into the church. But we also have shepherds or pastors, those who preach the gospel in the church as well as exercising authority within the local church. In other words, this is a sense in which the pulpit is foundational to the healthy life of discipleship. We're reminded from 1 Timothy chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We get to the teachers. Now, and before apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, there's all been an article, okay? You know, an article, the or an, okay, a. But there's none for teachers. And so this leads some people to think that pastors and teachers go together. We're not really sure about why Paul did this. All pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors, as someone else has said. But teachers can be pastors, or they can be lay people who are appointed to instruct others with or without authority. And so as we think of these, uh, these groups of people, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we recognize, one, they all have verbal ministries. They're all in some way communicating the Word of God to other people. Some of them do this with authority, and some of them don't necessarily do this with authority, but all of them are gifts from Jesus to his people. They all are intended to function within the bounds of the covenant of grace, which means that there's intended to be, they're communicating the grace that we receive from God through Jesus Christ, but they're also communicating the grace that we're intended to show one another. Grace. This covenant of grace. Discipleship takes place within the context of God's covenant because we are a covenantal people. It's the, the, the structure of, of the community is formed by this covenant of grace that God has made with us. Now, Dunkin' Donuts is not like the people of God, but there are organizational principles, right? There's certain things you can do and there's certain things you can't do while you seek to achieve the corporate mission of Dunkin' Donuts which is shifted from selling donuts to mostly selling coffee these days, but you get the idea. The covenant of grace is the organizing principle. It lets us know what can and cannot be done, what should be done, and how to do it. That's how the covenant of grace functions within the church. So what is the purpose of these five people that uh, five groups that we've outlined 
that Paul has mentioned here. He says that their purpose, their function is to equip the saints. This is simply another way of talking about that thing we've been calling discipleship or apprenticeship. Equipping. Another way, in other words, they are to complete or to furnish the saints with what they need to flourish. And flourishing is one of those uh, new, it's not a new word, but it's sort of a uh, hip word. It's a new popular word. It's, it's, It's just very, I don't know, popular in our culture today. When I speak about flourishing, I'm talking about living as God intended. And so, essentially, what that means is that you're learning to live loving God and loving people according to the covenant of grace. That's how we flourish. It's not about self-actualization or anything like that. But in order to flourish, in order to live as you were intended, you need to be equipped, and you need to be equipped by the people God has placed in your midst to equip you. For instance, think of it this way. If you're a baseball player, you need equipment. And if you're going to flourish as a baseball player, you need a bat. You need a helmet so you don't get hit on the head and have brain damage. And of course, now they've got like six tons of body armor when they go to bat. But, you know, kids don't need that kind of thing in order to flourish. But you certainly need a glove. And you certainly need cleats because you're going to run on the grass and you don't want to slip in the, in the grass. In order to flourish as a baseball player, you need certain equipment. And there are other people who are there to make sure you have that equipment. If you're going to flourish in a trade, for instance... As an auto mechanic or as a welder, you need certain tools. You need to be equipped in order to do your job well and to make money doing it. You need to be equipped. Equipped with skills as well as tools, knowing how to use that tool properly and how not to use that tool And so, in similar fashion, the saints are intended to be equipped so that they can love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, recognizing, of course, that only God can work in the heart, but still, we're called to equip people with the gospel message. uh, They're also to be equipped in order that they can love other Christians with whom they have been united, which is exactly where Paul is going to go After this passage, he goes into what community looks like, what the love for your neighbor looks like. But we're not going to get too much into that this morning. And so we see that Christ gives officers and leaders to make disciples in the church. But are they the only ones who are intended to make disciples? Are they the only ones who get up early in the morning like the Dunkin' Donuts guy to make disciples? Or does Paul have something else in mind too? We see this in verses 12 to 13. There's this, what's called a controversial comma that takes place. In other words, um, 
right after to equip the saints, some translations stick a comma, uh, which means uh, uh, if the comma is, is supposed to be there, it's a, is it a separate second task for the officers that we've seen, or is it intended to be equip the saints for this purpose? Is this another task? Or is this what the saints are equipped to do? And that statement is for the work of ministry. And if this is intended to be another task of the officers, then what in the world are the saints to be equipped to do? But I do believe that there is no comma. I do believe that the saints are equipped in order to do this work of ministry or service, which is probably a better way of translating that word, though ministry's fine too. We see from other places in the New Testament that people who are not, apo- not apostles, not prophets, not evangelists, not pastors, and not teachers doing the work of ministry. For instance, in Acts chapter 4, and when they had prayed, and this is not just the twelve, okay, and it's not just the pastors, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so we see the entire community that was gathered for prayer is therefore filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to speak the word of God to other people. In Acts chapter 8, we see that the community within Jerusalem has been scattered by persecution after the death of Stephen. And what happens? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, it's going to mention Philip the Evangelist, but he was not the only one, and and it was not simply the people like him who had one of those five roles within the body of Christ. Similarly, in Romans 15, Paul says to the church or churches in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Again, that one another ministry that we talked about from Colossians that we see, that we're going to see here in Ephesians, and Paul also talks about in Romans. And so while discipleship starts from the leadership in the church, it doesn't end with the leadership in the church. That's an important thing. When we think of this word ministry as it's translated in the ESV anyway, this is the word that we get deacon from. It can range from table service. So I have to remind our deacons once in a while, if their heads get a little too big, that they're waiters. Nah, I don't do that. But that's one of the, one of the meanings of that word. It's part of the semantic range of that word. But it can also include gospel proclamation. So if they're feeling too, too low about themselves, I, I need to remember that part, remind them of that part of the semantic range. You, you guys are not just about waiting tables, but you're also about gospel proclamation in your own way. So don't get downcast, my brothers. Okay. But the point here is that service can be as simple as setting up 
for a family feast. But you still need to, need to know how to do that and do that well and do that in a way that is not grumbling and showing hospitality. Service can, can be teaching Sunday school. Service can be playing music to help lead the, ministry, the worship of God's people to facilitate that. Service can include running the soundboard. Service includes a wide variety of things that are important for the overall discipleship of the congregation. Some of them are not directly making disciples, but enable others to make disciples. The janitor at Dunkin' Donuts doesn't make donuts, but he makes it so that other people can make donuts that won't make other people sick. As an example. And so uh, this, the, the equipping for works of service is, is a very broad term. It's, it's not simply, you can't just say, well, I don't expect to be a teacher in this congregation, therefore I don't need to be discipled. Or rather, no matter how you serve within this body, and as we'll see later, you all should be serving within this body unless there's a reason that limits you from doing that, you all are to be discipled. Right now, we're sort of struggling with some of this. Part of it is COVID-18. Actually, I'm thankful for COVID-18 because there are important roles that uh, need to take place in our body that... Okay, I'm qualifying this. No, I'm laughing because you said COVID-18. Oh, 19. I love you too. There's certain things we're not doing right now because of COVID-19. <laughs> it becomes COVID-21, chill out and have a beer. Maybe. All right. So there's certain things we're not doing right now, and so there's less need for volunteers, but we're wondering what happens if we start to integrate those back into the life of the church. Will we have the volunteers necessary to cover the nursery, to do refreshments, and other things like that? There's a need that we have that right now the COVID is covering. So, the second purpose Uh, that these officers are doing this work is for the building up of the body of Christ. This this idea of building up, this this, an act of construction, the things that promote growth. Uh, Another word that is used to translate this in some uh, translations is edification. That's another good word. I like edification. But both of them point to the idea of a building that's going on to indicate further that this is not intended to refer simply to the actions of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we see in, in verse 29 of this very same chapter, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up or edifying as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Paul is investing the responsibility for building one another up to everybody, not just leadership. Everybody. And this work pertains to the body of Christ, to the church. Everybody is intended to work to help it to grow. Help it to grow into what? You might ask. And Paul says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The idea of the church maturing out of infancy into adulthood, growing into its head, being tall, being strong, having the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so people grow from tiny babies like Lumen. We all started that way, right? We didn't stop there. And neither shall she. We grow from babies into toddlers, into children, into teens, and into adults. That's good. So do Christians grow. From baby Christians, into kind of childlike Christians, into adult, mature Christians. John Newton wrote about this process. I'm not so excited about his exegesis to get to this process, but I agree with the process. I agree with his analysis of what these stages look like. Christians and churches should be maturing. And one of the things that happens when we baptize a child in this congregation, we don't just ask the parents questions about what their intentions are for that child, but we also ask you all for your intentions with respect to that child. From BCO 56.3, one of those exciting places in the book of church order, we find a very important question Do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? In other words, Hillary's sort of right. It takes a congregation to raise a child. The primary responsibility is with the parents, but we're supposed to help out the parents. That's what the word assisting means. We don't do it for the parents. We don't take over for the parents, but we do provide Uh, assistance to the parents in that process, including Sunday school. Or whatever we're going to call it in two weeks. (laughs) Okay? We all work together to raise babies in Jesus into adults in Jesus. Even when they're physically babies. Adulthood here is described as the fullness of Christ, experiencing all that Jesus is, as well as bearing all the fruit that reflects who Jesus is. Paul was praying about this earlier in his letter. In Ephesians 3, verse 19, we see, "...and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." 
And so raising children to adults or building a great cathedral don't happen overnight. Uh, They take a lot of time. I can't say my daughter is almost 16, I'm done. I mean, for the love of Pete, it's been 15 plus years. Keep going. And even after she leaves the home and the others leave the home, we're still not done with being a mom and a dad. We're still building those people into better and better adults. Discipleship does not take place over the course of three months. Discipleship does not take place over the course of three years. It is a lifelong thing. A big investment. And so maturing people are also equipped to make disciples in the church. Well, what is it that is important about these people? What is it that uh, marks out these people as ones who are maturing? Look at that, verses 14 to 16. I want to remind you that buildings don't build themselves and that infants cannot take care of themselves. There was a child just the other day that was on a raft in the ocean, and the wind and the waves took it out into the ocean, and that child was not able to bring itself back. Children need adults to protect them, to help them, to teach them. How do we, what do we give these children, whether spiritual or physical? Maturity comes as there is speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up. Truth and love are like diet and exercise. They're necessary things. They're the essential components of discipleship. They're as essential as Jesus is. Because, of course, Jesus is the way, the truth, truth and the life. Jesus is the manifestation of God's love to us. And so, speaking truth and showing love are are essential to the well-being of children and disciples. Truth and love. Like food and water. Necessary. Essential. In other words, there's essentially no discipleship where there is no truth or no love. But as we think of this phrase that is here, speaking the truth, that's one word. That's an unusual word. I mean, as you look into the Greek, you kind of expect to see speak, you know, one of the words for speaking and then the word for truth. But really, it's one word that's rooted to truth, and it's basically truthing or truth-telling. It's kind of an odd phrase that Paul has here. But people need to learn the truth. And they need to learn how to live by the truth. But the truth is that the truth alone makes us hard, makes us cruel, makes us uncaring, 
I had a professor for one of my classes. He wasn't a full-time guy. But he said to anyone who would listen, I'm a truth guy. And unfortunately, I saw his hardness. I mean, I'm sort of a truth guy. I love truth. But I learned from watching him that I can't have only truth because he was very mean from my perspective. The people who, not having a watch, dared to look at the clock at the back of the classroom. I think he needed a little bit more love, as most of us do. But another example of that is the mob that we see now. Many of you have probably seen that picture of, of the woman diner basically pinned against the wall while this, this mob surrounds her and is screaming an element of truth to her. Uh, but there's no love whatsoever in this group. Truth is not all that matters. Truth is essential. But truth alone is insufficient. We are to tell truth tell in love. Because love, as John Stott talks about, softens the truth, and truth hardens love. Okay, if all you give people is love and no truth, there's it's too soft, it's too squishy. Truth and love fit together like a zipper. I'm reminded of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This bed is too hard. This bed is too soft. This bed is just right. Discipleship with only love is too hard. Discipleship with only, sorry, only truth is too hard. Discipleship that's only love is too soft. But the discipleship that is truth and love is just right. We are to grow up. We're to grow up so that we're no longer, we would no longer be children. Remaining a child forever, whether it's physically or spiritually, is incredibly sad. The lost boys in Peter Pan should bring sadness to your soul because they're boys who are stunted, who've never grown up. They've never learned to take responsibility. In other words, they've never learned to love another human being but themselves. And so we see not just Paul, but we see Peter also talking about this. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that you can be fat, dumb, and happy the rest of your life. No, so that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We find the author of Hebrews saying something similar when he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, he's lamenting the fact, he's chastising them in love and truth that they have not grown as they should have grown and they still need milk when they should be weaned already. So it's not just a Paul thing. It's a New Testament thing. 
Why is it so important that we grow up and that we're no longer like children? Because children are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Children struggle to know what's true. Children struggle to know how to love. Immature Christians are vulnerable due to a lack of discernment. They're like ships on the sea that are just blown about in the midst of a storm is the picture that Paul wants us to have here. So they need to be discipled. I remember when I was a a new convert, a new Christian, hadn't been connected to a church yet, sitting in the basement of my brownstone in the south end of Boston with cable TV. It 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 was actually awesome, man. I paid the same amount of money as I was living in a dorm, but here I am in a brownstone with cable TV and able to to eat what I wanted and having my tea pass so I can get anywhere in the city I want to go. Oh, for the same amount. I, I could do my own laundry and not leave my house. I could watch the Celtics play every night on TV. It was It was awesome. It was great. But the downside was I didn't know what I should be inputting into my brain. And I talked about how uh, I I stumbled upon a J.I. Packer book uh, in the bookstore. But one of the things I stumbled upon TV was Frederick Price. Some of you may not know that name. I'm glad you don't know that name. (laughs) He is a prosperity teacher. And for a little while, I was watching Frederick Price. He's very engaging in how he does his thing. Okay, but then as I was, the more I was reading scripture, the more I was understanding that he was not in touch with scripture, that he was not teaching scripture as it should be taught, and I grew out of listening to Frederick Price. I began to realize that he was a false teacher. Some people never come to that. Tossed and to and fro by. Every wind of doctrine, every new thing that comes along, upsetting everything and everybody because there's a lack of discernment. But not just that, but we see that Paul brings in the human element as well. Human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He's speaking here about humans who are as shrewd as the serpent that we see in Genesis 3. That's what he's called. Crafty. And these false teachers are not simply deceived, they are also crafty. Seeking to deceive. They're dangerous. Discipleship helps Christians to guard against the pull of false doctrine. Discipleship helps Christians guard against shady teachers. Discipleship helps Christians to understand the Word of God for themselves so they can examine the teaching of others. And so the church is intended to become this, what the, the Vine Project calls these transformational learning communities. with apprentices who learn how to serve. You're not just being transformed for transformation's sake, but you're being transformed in order to serve. 
Now, don't hear this, if you're one of those people who's really engaged and involved, don't hear this as Steve is saying, do more. Okay? Don't, don't think that everything I'm saying applies to you and that you're not doing enough. Okay? Now, there's some people that aren't. But don't hear, I guess, this should not be a discouraging sermon. This should not be understood as sort of a beat down for anybody. And if you hear that, that's not what I mean. Don't hear it that way. But truth and love help people to grow up in Christ. Not just help, but they're essential for people to grow up in Christ. Well, even though the world likes donuts, the world doesn't actually need donuts. But if you're going to make donuts, you need to know what a donut is, and you need to know how to make a donut, and someone actually has to make the donut. It's similar with disciples, except that the world actually does need disciples. Jesus provides people who lead and organize this process of making disciples. But the point is that the church becomes a transformational community. Disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Each of us is a part of that process so that the body of Christ grows up, as Paul says, into the fullness of Christ when, as each part does its part. So all of us are necessary for this. And so, brothers and sisters, it's time to make the disciples. Our big idea, if we tie all this together, is who makes disciples? Well, people who are committed to truth and love in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I long for us to be what Paul talks about. And Father, I recognize the the pull of the flesh that inhibits that, the the distractions of the world, as well as the subterfuge of Satan. So Father, help us to um, keep going back to the Scriptures and seeing why you have called us into being as a congregation. Help us to to see how each of us fits into that whole, so that we're all working together, we're all doing what you call us to do, and that we're growing up, growing up into the fullness of Jesus. Father, help, we can't do that alone. As we sang earlier, we need you every hour in this. But we thank you that you have uh, invested yourself in this process more than we have, and that you will continue to invest yourself into this process. That we are not alone in this but that you are working amongst us by the Spirit for these very purposes. And for that, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.